2: You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. The sponsor for this whole Labor Day Book Blast week is FirstBook.org. Obviously, the pandemic is crippling education for millions of students, especially those in low-income communities. The widening digital divide and extended, quote-unquote, summer slide due to COVID is devastating. Apparently, 40% lack access to reliable internet and functioning digital devices they can use for online learning, making the need for physical books and resources to prevent further educational backsliding absolutely critical. First Book breaks down the barriers to education for children living in low-income communities by providing its network of more than 475,000 educators serving children in need with free and affordable new high-quality books, educational resources, and basic needs items through the award-winning First Book Marketplace nonprofit e-commerce site. They need your support to ensure these children have what they need to learn during this critical time. Visit firstbook.org to help Deshaun Watson is an American football quarterback for the Houston Texans of the NFL. He played college football at Clemson and led the team to a CFP championship game appearance in 2015 and a national championship win in 2016. He was selected by the Texans 12th overall in the 2017 NFL draft, and he was named to his first Pro Bowl in 2018. Deshawn, at age 24, has already written a book, which is humbling to someone like me who is 44 who has not written a book like this. Anyway, his book is called Pass It On. Work hard, serve others, repeat. Then I have to say, I had to, well, maybe I shouldn't admit this, but I had to ask my husband, Kyle. I was like, hey, have you heard of Deshaun Watson? And he was like, oh my God. So anyway, my husband and my son thought this was pretty much the coolest thing I've done on this podcast. So I did it. And now I'm like following him on the Houston Texans and spotting him on replays on TV. And I had the best time talking to him about his life and the interesting relationship with his mom and Habitat for Humanity and how another football player whose name I'm forgetting who's super, super famous actually helped him get his first home at Habitat for Humanity and now he's giving back to his community Anyway, you should definitely listen to this episode and then you should get any football lovers in your life to listen to it as well. And they will think you are very, very cool. Hi, John. Thanks for doing this. I'm really excited to have you on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I can't believe you're like not even 25 years old and you've already written this book. What is going on? I can't, I was like, did I read this right? 1995? I was already in college. I feel like an old lady. Oh my gosh.
3: No, yeah, this is, I mean, it's incredible. It's uh, truly a blessing and it's a new experience, even for myself. Like you said, just being 24 years old and I already have a book coming out is something that I never even thought of. But with the right support cast and the right team I have, they inspired me to, to be able to take this next step.
2: Wow. So, obviously, you're an NFL quarterback and you've accomplished a lot in the football world. But what made you want to write this book? Like, why? Why shame all these people out there who have been trying to write books for their whole lives and come out, you know, from the starting gate and and do it already?
3: Just because I just feel like it was the best way to to touch more people around the world. Because of course, if you're if you're a sports fan, then you kind of know about American football. So you you know you kind of have the United States and my testimony. You kind of heard about me before. But the people that don't watch sports, the people that are in Europe, because I love to travel. I love to travel to Germany. I love London. I love you know, Amsterdam, ain't places like that. And of course, they hear about American football, but they don't know anything about us. So, for me to be able to es- express my testimony and my story, I felt like this book can go global and those people over there can actually, you know, read something and find it interesting and, you know, pick a nugget.
2: Totally. So, has this been a really hard time that you can't travel? I mean, being sort of locked <laughs> down?
3: It's definitely hard because I'm I'm so ready to get on a flight and just go and kind of you know have some some free time. Definitely been hard.
2: I feel like I will never be upset by an airplane delay again the rest of my life. Like <laughs> I will be so excited to get on a plane. I don't think I've ever been in one place so long in my life. Exactly. <laughs> right? Who's who? Who does this? Who like sits around? I don't know. It's uh, amazing. So. So let's talk more about your book. One of the things, and I didn't know much about your backstory at all. One of the things I was most impressed about was you're telling the story starting from a young age when you got the house through Habitat for Humanity. And then how, as you've grown into the successful football player now, you've even gone back and you've started your own foundation, the John Watson Foundation. Tell me about that whole sort of full circle of your life and how Habitat for Humanity helped you and how now you're giving back again.
3: Yeah, I mean, Habitat for Humanity really just changed my my foundation of, of just me and my family's life. You know, growing up in, a, in the neighborhood 815 Hashtag Square, I know a lot of people see me write 815. That's what it is. It's not my area code. It's just a neighborhood that I was my first birthday, everything until I was like 11 and 12 years old. And that was just so, it was a different environment. It was the norm for me, but it was a different environment where it was you know, apartments. apartments. you know, you had to get it how you live and and just kind of, you know, go from there. And um, my mom did a good job of really managing that. And then Ward Dunn, you know, was able to bless us with that Habitat for Humanity home and put us in a different environment where we never even really experienced or thought we were ever going to have a chance to live. And it just opened my eyes to more life. And for me to be able to have this platform and do the same thing, I watched NFL guy Ward Dunn do, you know, change my life and help, help me get to where I am today. So I want to be able to do the same thing with, you know, partner with Habitat, writing a book and get to these foundation, uh, these communities to be able to do the same. If I can change one person's life out of all the people that I touch and meet, I mean, that's a, it's, a, it's a dream come true for me.
2: What do you think it was about your life? I mean, you're someone who decides to give back to the ladies in the cafeteria line because you just feel like it. And you started a foundation and you've done all this stuff so early this desire to give back is amazing. What do you think it was? Is it your mom? Like, she's obviously been like such (laughs) an amazing mom. I mean, I keep reading, I was like reading your stories. I'm like, how do I be as good a mom as her? (laughs) So what do you think it was about your upbringing or whatever that's made you want to give back in this way?
3: I think it is because so many people, and I'm not afraid to say it, just so many people helped me along the way and and put me in the, stirred me in the right direction. And even if I was falling in, you know, the, the wrong direction. There were always somebody there to kind of throw me a nugget and I listened. And mm-hmm. I felt like, you know, my mom taught me that, to be able to listen and observe everyone that you meet because you can get something good out of whoever you meet. And also you can get something bad. So, but you want to be balanced in the middle where you kind of see both sides and you take it, you know, you take the energy where where, where it takes you and what really stores in you because I'm a big energy person. So for me to be able to do that, and I've been in at the worst of the worst and at the mm-hmm. lowest peak. So, When I see somebody else that, you know, struggling or need a little help, I feel like it's my blessing. It's my purpose to be able to help them out in some type of way because I've been there before and I know what they're going through. And I want to be able to help them out of that situation.
2: It's amazing. The ability to be so empathetic is so important and it will serve you well, I'm sure, on the field and off the field and all the rest. When you talked in the book about when you were drafted, that's probably not the right, when you were the draft pick or whatever, that's probably not the right way to say that either. I don't know. I have actually watched the draft with my husband, who's a huge football fan. So I kind of know, I could imagine what you were doing, but when when you read the letter from your mom and she said, like, we were not supposed to be here and you were crying and all that, tell me about that. that moment and like all her cancer and like all the stuff you guys went through, what was it like to get up there? And I know it's still early, but.
3: No, yeah, I'm, I'm literally getting chills now when you, you mentioned that because I'm just reminiscing about that, that night and that moment. And I mean, I couldn't hold it back. There's only been a couple of times where I actually just like flat out cried. And that was a moment where it was just so much joy, so much passion, so much hard work. So much, you know, out of 23 years of our, you know, my life and my mom, you know, taking care of me and the other kids, it was just, it was the moment. And she knows too, She, she's the one that started in me, like, hey, we wasn't supposed to be here. The numbers say, you know, we we weren't supposed to be here where we come from, but you know, you did it, son, you made it, we made it, we made it together from all the bad, with all the good, we stayed focused. We didn't get too comfortable. We kept working, and now we at this moment. And your dream has come true. Because I used to always tell her as a little boy, "Mom, I'm gonna play in the NFL. I'm gonna get you a new house." I'm gonna, I was always a little boy playing, and now that you know, it came true. It's, it's amazing. And when she dealt with her counselor, you know, she the first thing you know she told me, she's like, "Hey, don't, hey son, don't change anything. You know, get closer to the Lord, but continue to be the son that I want you to be. Continue to go out there and be the kid playing football." Don't change, your, don't change your perspective on how you look at life and try to you know, take the street life. You focus on school, football, and you focus on the Lord, and we're going to be fine. And ever since then, that's what I've been locked in on. Wow.
2: Well, again, your mom, hats off. <laughs> I'm telling you. So tell me about your love of chess. I thought that was so interesting how you called yourself some sort of a nerd. What did you say? Hold on. I have a quote. You said, a football in one hand, a chess piece in the other, how athlete nerdy can you get? <laughs> and uh-huh. you talked about how chess really helps with football and strategy and your leadership ability. So just tell me a little more about about the role of chess because uh, yeah. I've got my five-year-old playing, so now hopefully he can be a quarterback.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Like, like I've never really thought about playing chess. I've always saw it. But my QB coach, Quincy Avery, and his guy, I want to call him Master Professional, Seth, he's out in in Los Angeles. You know, they came together, and they, you know, we sat down, and he taught me how to play chess one day. And it was supposed to be 30 minutes, you know. And next thing you know, I looked at the time, and it was already three hours. I'm like, whoa, like, this is actually fun. I'm getting so much out of it. So, yeah, we include it into our workouts and different, you know, strata. But I feel like when what I get out of chess is being the quarterback. I'm always making decisions. I'm always reading my opponents. So I'm sitting across that table. I'm reading his move. I'm trying to think what he's thinking. like. I'm trying to see what he see. At the same time, you know, when I'm sitting back there at quarterback, I'm doing the same thing against the defensive guys and making sure that my guys are on the right, you know, right read. I'm making very, very smart decisions at the right time, being patient. Sometimes I got to attack, but sometimes I need to be patient. So all that stuff kind of ties in together, especially with the position that I play. And it's just been, it's been awesome.
2: And how do you not get distracted? Like, how do you keep <laughs> all of that in and all those plays and managing where everybody is in the field and then having, like, all the people in the stands, right. or maybe not anymore now. I mean, who knows what's happening. But how do you maintain your focus?
3: I get in the zone. And once I step on the field, it's like I don't even hear the noise. Honestly, especially on the road games, but even home games, like I don't I just block out everything. I'm just so locked in and focused on that moment and what needs to be done and what my job needs to be do, be done. I, I just kind of block it all out. And I've always had that that way. And sometimes it's hard for people, sometimes it's not. But for me, it's just always been that way.
1: This is how I know
2: I'm not a real athlete because like I play tennis and like there's a lawnmower five houses away and I'm like, I can't, I just can't do it. (laughs) And you have like, you know, stadiums of people and you're like, it doesn't bother me. So (laughs) speaking of what makes an athlete, you talk about managing losses and how you don't know any great athletes who haven't. Try to sort of understand what it was that caused the loss. Otherwise, you can't be a great athlete unless you're really like evaluating that and learning from it. So tell me a little more about managing losses and that strategy.
3: I feel like you get so much more out of the loss than you do a win. I and mean, you realize a lot more, you know, detail, you know, problems or detail issues that happen that cause the loss. You know, if you win, you kind of, okay, I won. I, I did this wrong, but, you know, on to the next thing. You know, it's not too much correction. but when you lose and you take that loss, especially coming in into an NFL locker room on that Monday, it's not a good feeling. It's not a good energy. And so you kind of evaluate every single play that you do and you kind of point out everything, what caused it, what did I miss out? Should I study a little bit, you know, harder this week? Should I, you know, correct the way I look at different things in different situations? So yeah, I feel like losses is, I, I, I look at them as a, as a positive thing, even though it's really a negative. I look at it as a positive thing because I get so much more out of it.
2: I was like reading different parts of your book out to my husband. And I'm like, you know, this guy like watches videos all the time. <laughs> He's like, no, that's what you're supposed to do. Like, I guess because you're constantly like analyzing all the plays and what you can do and um, how other people find it boring. And but you're like, no, no, no. This is how like your brain is just constantly processing. So,
3: Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm always thinking about football in different situations and always watching film, you know, especially. And I've learned too, you know, being in NFL for three years, that you don't just watch the previous game or you don't watch lat, you know, two weeks ago. You're actually watching the coach that's coaching that team from nineteen ninety-five. I'm like, yo, I was born in nineteen ninety-five. <laughs> you know, he's still doing the same thing. He's like, Yeah, he did it versus this player and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like it's incredible that, you know, the consistency see that a lot of coaches, you know, stay in the film work that they do.
2: Wow. How are you not afraid? I mean, in your book, you talk about all your injuries and tearing your ACL twice and all these things that happened to you. How do you get back on the field and not worry? Like, how do you have that confidence in your body that it keeps coming back? And how are you not, like, afraid?
3: I think it just comes with the preparation and the the, the training that I do to get back. And I trust in that. And I just kind of let it loose on the field. And if I, you know have a little fear, have a little doubt or worry, I feel like that that's going to cause my in- injury or that's going to cause me not to perform at my highest level. So mm-hmm. before I even step on the field, I make sure that I'm good, locked in. And then once I'm on the field, I just let it loose.
2: Hmm. And you talked in the book several times about how like you lined up all your toys as a kid and how like everything had to be so like, you know, straight and organized and how that's led to this Pursuit. So I'm just wondering for all the parents out there who have kids who like to line up their stuff, like, does this give us hope that maybe we have you know, athletes of your caliber? What do you think?
3: Either athletes or somebody that's very thoughtful in their decision making art and strategizing, you know, different moves. Because I used to take marbles to pencils. I used to break pencils and line them up in different plays to my toys, to batteries that my mom used to throw away. I go to the trash can, I get them out. <laughs> and wow. I just love to play mm-hmm. against each other. And that's like age five, four, five, six, seven, eight, all the way till really high school. You know, and then I you know, kinda of threw all that stuff away once we moved, you know, to the habitat home. But yeah, my whole time growing up childhood, I used to always draw up plays and kind of control everyone else that was around me, you know, when we played football or any any type of sports activity.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, if you're still playing with batteries, maybe I could offer up some other toy suggestions at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Right. In case you're, you know, if you've uh, <laughs> run out that one, oh my gosh. So, how are you? I mean, you have incorporated all these principles in your book. You've obviously done a ton of work. And I know you worked with a ghostwriter and I read up about her and she's like super impressive in her own right. How did you two pair up and what was it like working with a ghostwriter?
3: Yeah, we met my rookie year in 2017. I was at the Galleria Mall, and it's a hotel next door. And we kind of ran into each other. So uh, she hit up my agent and, you know, she was like, hey, I'm next door. I just seen Sean. And we kind of met at the hotel lobby. You know, she sat me down and kind of introduced herself and like wrote books. But she was like, hey, I feel like your testimony, your your story, I feel like you should write a book. And at first I'm like, uh, no, I'm just focused on football. Like, I'm not trying to do all that. I don't even like, you know, reading. Uh <laughs> And so, you know, we kind of put that to the side. She kept, you know, contacting my agent, contacting my agent. And she was very, very, wasn't annoying, but she was very, very passionate. Hey, we need to get this done. I have a feeling this is going to be good. So, you know, a year and a half later, two years later, we come to this moment and she's still, you know, calling. And so I'm like, yo, let's give it a try. So we sat down again and really kind of listened to her and thought her out, you know, thought out the whole, you know, book project. And it was just the best situation. I just feel like, yeah, you you've been right a long time ago. We should have did this in 2017. I would have probably had three books out now.
2: <laughs> no, but you had so many more stories to
3: include. Right, it, exactly. You know,
2: imagine your book when you're 40. You'll have like you know you'll have shelves like this, like a hundred books by then. You know,
3: exactly. Uh, <laughs> it was just the perfect time to wait and to kind of you know build more stories and build more you know in my professional career. At this moment at age 24, the first book comes out, and then. There's many more stories to happen.
2: So how did you do it? Did you, did you like dictate to her and she recorded it? And like, how, what was your process yeah. like with her?
3: Yeah, It was a lot of phone calls, a lot of, you know, FaceTimes, a lot of, you know, me talking to my agent when I'm at practice and what's going on, what, you know, her sending questions to me on filling out questions through emails. And, and I mean, it was just a lot of that kind of contact, especially during the season. It was very hard for her to just, you know, pop up here. She didn't want to bother me. She wanted me to lock in, which was awesome. But we did a lot of like emailing and Facetimes and calls and things like that.
2: Wow, amazing! Well, I love the difference—the line between annoying and persistent and passionate. (laughs) It's a—it's a tricky line (laughs) that seems to paid off for her. So (laughs) that's funny. So now you're going into like a new season, and who knows what is going on in the world? Like, how do you take all this mental energy? And you know, you're so thoughtful in the book about outlining your approach to basically every way in which you're living your life which is just so astounding for anybody but particularly somebody your age not to keep talking about your age but how are you taking all this in and managing the uncertainty with the upcoming season like what do you expect how are you kind of getting yourself ready when when there's so much out in the world that we don't know
3: right i'm honestly i had to change the way i i I process things and like you said the word is i haven't expected anything i just kind of I'm going with the flow now. I had to change that look. Um, you know, I have a day I have a deadline. Okay, this is when we're reporting, this is what's going on. We're gonna play this team in preseason. I need to be ready, hype it up. But now I have no expectations because I don't know what's going on. I don't wanna be disappointed or I don't wanna to get too high and it brings me down, you know, and be, you know, too low. So I just kinda of take it day by day, step by step, but always staying prepared for the next situation and being ready to adjust as fast as possible. And so if I have that, you know, mindset approaching the season then I think I'll be fine.
2: And so have you had to, like, are you still training? Like, do you do all that stuff?
3: All yeah. of it? Yeah, training in like an hour or so. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I usually train every day in condition and throw and, you know, watch a little tape and things like that. Then I hang out, so.
2: Wow. Well, it's exciting, but I don't know. I think if the NFL season really doesn't happen, I don't know what my husband's going to do. <laughs>
3: Like, I don't know what I'm gonna do either. <laughs> <laughs> oh my
2: gosh, a lot, a lot more tape to watch, I guess. Right. <laughs> so, if you were gonna write another book, if you were to give advice to people writing a book, like what would you, what would you tell them, having gone through this process already?
3: I just say, open up, just open up your imagination, open up the experiences that you you dealt with growing up, and just tell your story. And that's the biggest thing. Everyone has have a story. Everyone have experiences and you know good bad adversity just be able to just open up everything that you have and just be able to just let it loose on paper and it might sound crazy it might be out of order but if you have someone like like i had in lavelle who who was my ghostwriter they're going to ar- organize it and, and and get it you know on track and that's what we did
2: well i have to say when i first started reading your book i downloaded it onto my ipad And there was the opening scene of you like basically getting baptized in Israel. And I was like, I think I downloaded the wrong book.
1: (laughs) I was like, this must be something else. Like what is going on?
3: (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. That was definitely a a special moment of my journey.
2: Tell me about the significance of that in the overall context. And then I'll leave you alone in a minute.
3: (laughs) No, it was just, it was amazing. My, my QB trainer, Quincy, he's like my big brother now. He was, you know, they contacted him, and it was like, hey, we want you and Deshaun to come out and train and, and just kind of get the, you know, the experience and the tour, so we, you know, decided to do that and spent the week in Israel, and they were like, hey, you want to get baptized in, in, the, you know, the river that, you know, Jesus got baptized in, and so we we're like, yeah, I mean, that would be the coolest moment ever, and so we did that, and it was just, it was amazing, the energy, the passion, the people that, you know, made sure we were good each and every day, and the food, I mean, everything was just amazing, it was a probably one of my favorite trips I've ever been on.
1: Wow. I've never been
2: there. Now I'm inspired. (laughs) So what, for just your last question, I'll let you go train and do everything else that's more important. But what do you say to people who are growing up and all have dreams of doing what you're doing? And I know you're still like in the beginning of your career and everything, but what advice would you give to people so they don't give up? So they somehow get, they, they just don't give up to the point to get to where you are right now? Like, what's the advice? Like, what's your inspiration?
3: I would say don't have a doubt. Have any doubt. Whatever you, your, your goals and your dreams zone, you know, if it's, you know, being the quarterback of an NFL team or, you know, being in a movie or whatever you want to be in life, don't have any doubt behind it. You know, go full throttle at it and, and don't be afraid to, you know, take losses and, you know, make mistakes. And that's one thing that I wasn't afraid of you know, going through you know on my path and my journey, I was always very confident in myself in a in a humble way, but also I knew that some losses and some you know mistakes was going to happen. But I'm gonna use it into a positive a positive you know momentum and and keep pushing forward. That's great.
2: Well, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on Moms' no Time to Read Books. Thanks for passing it on. Thanks for all of your advice and advice for people like my son and myself and like everybody. It's just really awesome life advice. Um, and I can't wait to now follow you and see as you get to be, you know, old and stodgy like me, I'm kidding in my forties, but you know, what advice you're going to have over the course of your career. So I'm excited to, to watch it all unfold.
3: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on here. It's been, it's been awesome. All right. Well, have a great
2: day. All right. Yeah. All right.
3: Take
1: care. Bye-bye.
2: Thanks so much to firstbook.org for sponsoring this Labor Day book blast. Please consider giving to firstbook.org to help their network of 475,000 educators serving children in need. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.